the Lord Jesus Christ, who took your place on a cross and stood in the gap for you and paid the price for you that he should have never had to pay, but he was in your shoes, dying on a cross so that you wouldn't have to. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, have you ever wondered what the kingdom of God is? Why it's important? Have you ever wondered about intercessional prayer? Well, we have on the program today somebody who is quite an expert in this area. In fact, he's written a couple of really incredible books that are going to be added to our reading list today. And his name is Steve Holmstrom. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a, I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, a little bit about Steve. He is the self-titled uh, Oil Patch Pulpit Preacher. And uh, he, uh, he and his wife, Kara, are the founders of Zinger Oilfield Supplies Limited, very successful oilfield rental company serving northern Alberta since 2005. They have five children and make their home in Drayton Valley, Alberta, Canada. His greatest passion is to seek the Lord's presence and bring his kingdom to the backwoods of the beautiful Alberta oil patch. We're going to talk about his ministry a little bit, but also a lot about his books and really their, their revelation to us as, uh, as Christians. As we always do, we're going to start with some framing aphorisms. Hopefully, uh, Steve is going to appreciate these. They're made in his honor. Uh, the first one is, what does Matthew chapter 19, 24 really mean? Steve, of course, is an expert in this, but the quotation is, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know, why did Jesus say that? Why is that important? We're going to talk about that today. The second quotation is, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Uh, the next quotation is, the truth will never make you popular, but the truth will make you honest. That's from somebody that Steve just introduced me to, the late, great uh, Reverend William Branham. He said that in 1956. And finally, uh, from uh, John Calvin, the great uh, reformer, evangelist, who said, Our prayer must not be self-centered. It must arise not only because we feel our own need as a burden, we must lay upon God, but also because we are so bound up in love for our fellow men that we feel their need as actual as our own. To make intercession for men is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express our love for them. So Steve, I wonder if we could start off with talking about Oil Patch Pulpit. And uh, when, I, when, I, when I was researching you and I, did, I was looking at your website, there's a mission statement there. I wonder if you could maybe start there just to kind of frame who you are and, and why you're doing what you're doing. Oil Patch Pulpit, uh, it started a few years ago. I had kind of pulled away. I used to be a traveling itinerant minister, preached in every little hick town you never been to, even lived in a VW hippie van. These are my younger years. You know, I preached in all these little town churches. Uh, and uh, But when I, I, back in 2005, I kind of left ministry uh, a little bit jaded, a little bit hurt, whatnot, and went into the oil field. 
and uh, and actually had a few years. Chapter one of my book, Access Granted, talks about five years where I was drunk in the garage, and yeah. kind of a long, funny story. But uh, but I kind of took a break from Steve the Preacher for a season and uh, and went into business in the oil field. Uh, but I loved the Lord. You know, I didn't uh, do everything right. I I changed some things, but I loved the Lord. And uh, over the years, began to really pursue the Lord personally again, but never was doing a lot of preaching or traveling. And uh, one of my staff said to me, Steve, there's so many people in the patch who who are spiritual, are hungry for spiritual things. Some are Jesus people, some aren't, but they're hungry for spirituality. Why don't you start making videos? These people work every Sunday out in the middle of nowhere. Why don't you start making videos that we can get out. And so I sat down in front of a video camera. The episode one is still online. Eh? You can tell <laughs> I'm still nervous. Uh, but I sat in front of a video camera and I started just saying, hey guys, I got a Bible verse for you. And I started preaching to a camera. And that's how Oil Patch Pulpit started, making this YouTube channel, Oil Patch Pulpit. And uh, before long, uh, we had, you know, a lot of people, rednecks out in the middle of nowhere, Many who wouldn't darken the door of a church, but they started watching Oil Patch Pulpit, and so that's kind of how it how it started. And uh, and certainly we have a we have a few city folk as well, and uh, we've got a following that's gone where it is gone. But uh, I still love when I uh, when I bump into some redneck in the backwoods who watches Oil Patch Pulpit, and they're like, "You're that Oil Patch guy." <laughs> One time, That's... funny story, I was out looking for a hunting spot and uh, northern up north, and uh, I was way at the end of a dirt road, and I knew there'd be some good deer in this bush, but it was private land, and uh, there was this old rickety old farmhouse, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to knock on the door and see if they'll let me hunt on their land, and I went up and knocked on the door, and this, uh, this lady opens the door, and she says, Steve Holmstrom! at my door <laughs> and i said uh do i know you ma'am she's like no but i watch every episode of oil patch ball but i said oh wonderful i said can i hunt on your land she said i'll tell you where the book buck is standing right now and when you're done shooting them i'll have hot chocolate ready for you <laughs> that was right where she said and she had the hot chocolate ready when we were done and that's so, true uh, so that's how oil patch pulpit started was just a way it was gave me a place to to just kind of share the things that were in my heart. Cause I spent a lot of time with the Lord in the woods. I spent a lot of time in his word, uh, but I don't travel and preach a lot, you know, right. these days a little more, but I try not to actually, I don't want to yeah. be busy every weekend, but it gives me a place to just uh, a venue where I can share what God's putting in my heart. Okay. So um, pardon the pun. Let's, let's start with the, with the Genesis of access granted. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, how you got the idea for the book, why you wrote it, and also um, share with people this this idea of the kingdom of God. Because I have to tell you, you know, I was raised in, in the Lutheran church all my life, steeped in the Lutheran catechism, and I literally, I was plumb ignorant of the kingdom of God until I, I, I read your book, Access Granted. So uh, you want to just maybe go into that background uh, start off with you know how you got the idea for the book, but what is the importance of this kingdom of God? What is it? What does it mean exactly? Like yourself, I didn't. I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, but I did never had a grid for what the kingdom was. I think I just always assumed it was a place you go after you die if you're saved, and 
<clears throat> but it was this one day I was sitting in a restaurant in Drayton with a, a very, very extraordinarily wealthy man who's really mentored me a lot in business and been a real blessing to me. Most of our conversations revolve around business, but this day we got talking about spirituality. And he said to me, he said, Steve, you know, I just don't get Christianity because, you know, you listen to one group, they read, they interpret the Bible one way, another group, they interpret it another way. I don't even want to approach the book because how would I ever interpret it? You know, do you have to understand Greek and Hebrew? He said, I even heard there's one verse in there that says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What the heck is that supposed to mean? You know, and of course, the only verse that a, a, a gazillionaire can quote <laughs> is that one right there. You know, it's like, what does that, what does that mean that I'm never going to enter in, you know? And, and I, at that time, I really didn't know what the kingdom was, but, you know, <clears throat> I'm a preacher, so I got to have an answer, right? And so yeah. I just said, well, I said, uh, you just need to know Jesus said it, and it's true. Uh, it's not going to be easy on judgment days for guys like you and guys like me to get in. We better not just be hoping our good deeds outweigh our bad. It's not going to be hard for us to get into heaven. Yeah. And even as I said those words, I could... Here now, this is not audibly, but when God speaks to me, it's loud on the inside. I yeah. could hear on the inside of me the Lord saying, "Bad, bad, bad, bad interpretation, Steve." Yeah. And uh, I got home <laughs> that night, and I was praying, and I said, "Lord, what was that?" You know. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and He said, "Steve, you know the kingdom of God is on earth." I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know that. I know all the verses. Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. It's here. It's in your midst. He told his disciples to say the same thing. John the Baptist, that was his message. It was the kingdom of God is here. You know, uh, God said, Steve, you know, the kingdom of God is on earth. Why do you always make it about heaven and hell? Right. And it struck me because I realized I do. I know the kingdom's on earth. Jesus said that. Everybody knows that. Anyone who's really spent any time in the word knows that. But yet, whenever I read a verse about the kingdom, I always made it about heaven and hell. You know, like scripture that says, do you not be de do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor slanders, nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. And when I hear something like that, I go, well, there's a list of all the people who are going to hell. <laughs> or these are the people who are excluded from heaven. Right. But that's not what Paul said. He said, these people can't enter the kingdom. And if the kingdom of God is on earth, why do we always make these scriptures dis, uh, disqualifiers for heaven or, or for hell. And, 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 and as I started to look at the scriptures again, I heard the Lord say this. I began to just look at all the scriptures that talked about the kingdom of God. And I realized if we disqualify everyone, if we look at all these scriptures that disqualify people from the kingdom, and you think that the kingdom is heaven when you die, we are in big trouble. <laughs> not a lot it. of people are going to make it. You know, yeah. Jesus actually said, if you don't have, if you don't change, and become like a child. If you don't have a childlike heart, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Well, yeah. most Christians don't have a very childlike heart. Yeah. What does that mean? They're all going to hell when they die. 
you know, uh, Jesus said, if you're greedy, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Mm. Most of the Christians I know are haven't quite surrendered to the Lord in the money department. That's kind of the last thing most people give God. They'll obey him until, until he asks for their money. Right. Well, guess what? Does that mean they're all going to hell? No, of course not. The Bible says, whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Right. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Getting to heaven, salvation is so easy. Believe in the Lord and you will be saved. But entering the kingdom, look at all those verses and you'll realize it costs way more to enter the kingdom than it does to enter heaven. Mm -hmm. And so you have to, to really understand the kingdom of God, the first thing you have to do is separate the two. Stop mm -hmm. making it all about heaven and hell. Stop right. saying, oh, there's the proof. All homosexuals go to hell. Well, you know what? There are scriptures that say sexually immoral, immoral people are going to be thrown in a lake of fire. But don't take the scriptures that talk about the kingdom and make them about heaven and hell because they're not. Right. Or else we're all hooped. And so that was kind of, that was the beginning of my journey into understanding the kingdom of God and, and recognizing that the king, if the kingdom of God is not a place I go when I die, if the kingdom of God is a place on earth right now, and the childlike can enter in, but the unchildlike can't, and the greedy can't, and the slanderers can't, and the gossips can't, now I have to ask, Leighton, what is the kingdom of God? Right. Because if it's on <laughs> earth, and most of us are disqualified, I want to know what it is. Right. So I can determine if I'm willing to pay the price to enter in. Mm -hmm. Because if it's that amazing, I want in. Right. Hallelujah. And when you <laughs> think, if you think that, well, hey, I'm going to heaven and, you know, I can live loose and do whatever I want. It doesn't make a difference. Well, then you might as well live loose and do whatever you want. And you might still get to heaven. But what if there's a place? What if there's a realm on earth that you don't get in to enter into unless you say yes to God? Right. In a very real way. Well, now you might have a reason to stop treating your wife so poorly. Maybe mm -hmm. you have a reason to stop being so greedy. Now we have a reason to ask God to give us righteousness and to give us the strength to overcome our addictions and our lusts and our, our passions for this world. Because those who live kingdom lives, they don't live worldly lives. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it is. One of the things I wanted to ask you about this, Steve, uh, and maybe I had this wrong, maybe you could clarify this. Uh, when I mentioned to you when you were explaining this to me, I said, you know, Steve, I really want to, I want this kingdom. This sounds really great. You said, Leighton, no, this is not a place you can go to hang out. Uh, you, you're going to get glimpses of it. You're going to have moments when you're, when you're connected to it, where you, when you're in it, but it's not a place you can just sort of go and say, oh, well, you know, here I am. I'm going to put up my feet in the kingdom of God. Is, is that did, did I have that right? And and how does that how does it access granted? How do we how do we access that? You say it's access granted. And I understand the meaning of the title. It's yeah. there. We're granted access conditionally, right? But but uh, what kind of a place is the kingdom of God? And how do we how do we how do we access it? 
You know, I think of it kind of like electricity. M many Christians talk about the kingdom of God like they live there. Like, oh, you know, you, you someone gets gets saved and puts their faith in Christ, and people say, "Welcome to the kingdom of God." You know, like <laughs> as if you've just entered in. You know, in a sense, you know, anyone who's a believer is a member of the family of God, and you are a part of a new kingdom. So, in that sense, you could say, you know, we're, you know, we're part of the kingdom of God. But when we talk about entering the kingdom of God, that's very different uh, than uh, being a part of, you know, uh, a, a member of a family. It's kind of like uh, Disneyland. I'm going to California next week. Uh, you know, if as soon as I enter California, they don't say, welcome to Disneyland. Uh, being in California, you're, you're on your way. You might be on the path, but there's still uh, a road to get there. There's still a price to pay before you get through the gate. I'm not in Disneyland yet. And so until I see Cinderella, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, uh, I need to assume I might not have entered in yet. Okay. And, and so it is with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the realm of God's supernatural glory in the earth. If you're seeing angels, you probably just walked in. If you <laughs> see Jesus visiting you, you have probably entered the kingdom of God. If you see like Peter, James, and John on the, on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, if you see Elijah and Elisha come through the veil, to have a conversation with you, I would say you have thoroughly, 100% entered the kingdom of God. But this is not something that happens all the time. It is a very, entering the kingdom is a very special, um, it's a very special moment of your life. If it happened five or six times, I think it would be phenomenal. You know, think of the transfiguration. This is a, a perfect example of entering the kingdom of God. And what you'll notice, there's three places in the Bible where the transfiguration is mentioned. It's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, I think it's, is it Matthew 9? Let me just go there real quick and sure. I'll show you something. Well, I'll just tell you, and you can look it up. Every single time that the transfiguration is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's this statement. Jesus is standing in front of a crowd of people, okay? He's looking at this people and he says, some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. Now, that's an odd statement. He says that to a group of people. Some of you who are standing here right now will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. The very next sentence says, about a week later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain, and boom, he tells the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, where Elijah and, Elijah, Elijah and Moses come out, have a conversation with Jesus Christ. They hear a voice from heaven. They see a cloud. Jesus is shining like lightning in front of them. They see the kingdom of God with their natural eyes. And every single time, you'll see that. Matthew does it. Mark does it. Luke does it. As soon as he finishes saying, some of you who are standing here will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. And the very next statement is, about a week later, he took three guys up and they saw the kingdom of God. See, seeing the kingdom of God is not like, he wasn't saying, see, many people, when they heard that word of Jesus, they say, well, obviously that was false because all those people died. None of them lived to see the second return of Christ. He wasn't talking about his second return. He wasn't talking about Jerusalem coming down. 
He was talking, he was telling a group of people, some of you are actually going to see the glory realm manifest before you die. And I would say to some watching this, some of you who are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, you will actually see the kingdom of God in this life before you die. But it's going to be a very, very special occasion. And it probably involves a visitation from someone on the other side, whether it be mm -hmm. Jesus Christ himself or maybe an angel. But there is a realm of glory that most people never see. And there is a price to pay. You got to walk, you know, even Peter, James and John, they had to stay real close to Jesus if they wanted to see that realm. I often compare it, Leighton, to like electricity. Uh, are we people of electricity? Yes. Uh, you've got lights shining on you right now. I'm enjoying the heat in my house. Uh, I've got, when I hold my cell phone in my hand, you, I, I, I'm holding electricity. You know, electricity is a big part of our lives, but most of the time we don't enter into it. Okay. That's very rare. Okay. Right. Uh, most of the time we plug into it. We tap into it. We, we are, you know, we are sort of, we're surrounded by it. That's what Jesus says. The kingdom of God is all around you. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there is a misquote in the Bible. And this is uh, uh, John, uh, sorry, Luke 17, 21. Most people quote this verse where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is within you. Have you ever heard that? Yes. Yes, I have. Jesus never said that. That's only found in the King James Version. They messed that one verse up. Every other version got it right. What Jesus said is the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or you might uh, say it's all around you. Think of like electricity. Is right. it blasting through you right now? No, right. but it's in your midst. It's all around you. In fact, that very verse, and someone's listening right now, they're a little offended because I just destroyed one of their favorite verses. <laughs> but if you look at it in context, listen to this. He's talking to Pharisees. This is the whole context of that verse. Uh, Luke 17, 20, it says, Once, on when being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will you say here it is or there it is, for the kingdom of God is in your midst. Right. In other words, it's all around you. Let me ask you, would Jesus have ever told a bunch of Pharisees the kingdom of God is within you? <laughs> it doesn't sound, no. it doesn't sound right. What did right he now. say that was within a Pharisee? He said, yeah. you Pharisees are like, whitewashed tomb you're nice and shiny on the outside but on the inside you're full of death and dead men's bones uh -huh. that's what he said was in a pharisee he would have never said to a group of pharisees the kingdom of god is within you but people quote that verse they love that verse mm -hmm. most everyone who preaches on the kingdom that's the first one they reach through for and they always quote it from the king james version the only version that messed it up friends the kingdom of god is not within you not often. If it is, boy, you're having a good day. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And Jesus says, seek it. Go after it. Right. Pursue it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Once in a while, like electricity, maybe once in your life, you'll get hit by lightning and the kingdom will be within you. <laughs> okay. Maybe once in a while you get you stick your finger in a light socket and you'll get shocked. But the day you get touched by electricity on the inside is very memorable. And I would say it's the same way with the kingdom of God. 
Well, that's a wonderful explanation of the kingdom of God, but that's not all that the book is about. Access Granted is also um, a, a manual. It's, it's, a, it's a way of, of uh, helping people understand how to live in closeness with God. And, uh, and, and let's talk practically. You talk a lot about in the book how you were able to, you know, to give up drinking. Uh, and you also describe in there how living in closeness with God also can enrich other aspects of your life. You talk about your marriage and, and, your, and your parenting of your, of your children, your father of, of five. But also, um, living in closeness with God is also closely connected to the, the success and flourishing of your business. Mm-hmm. Very successful oil field business. And uh, you really credit the, uh, uh, God with that, don't you? Oh, absolutely. You know what? It's your pursuit of the kingdom of God. All the other stuff just happens, you know? And that's just what Jesus said. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. Notice he didn't say, or righteousness. <laughs> you don't get to say, oh, I'll take the kingdom, but I'm not really into all that righteousness stuff. no righteousness is and the kingdom they're two sides of the same coin it's in your pursuit of the kingdom that you're saying yes to god and embracing a righteous life and 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 asking god to release his righteousness to you but as he says seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things what things look at it in context he's talking about natural things clothes uh, uh food it's 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 the things of this world that God doesn't want the things of this world to get in your heart. But what God is saying is, if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, if you'll pursue me, I'll give you all the other stuff as well. And it, and it for me, I would say in 2014, when I began to get a revelation of the kingdom of God, and I began to pursue him. And when I say seek the kingdom, I'm not just talking about angels. I'm not saying I'm looking for angels. I'm seeking Jesus. That's what I want. I love him. I want to know him. I want to be his friend. I want to experience him. This morning, before I came on here with you, I just took an hour just to wait on him, to meditate on his word, because the word of God is this is as close to Jesus as you can get in the natural realm. The Bible says that he is the word. Jesus is the living word. When you eat the word and meditate on God's word, you're eating Christ. And so we meditate on his word as we pursue him. And absolutely, that's exactly what happens is all these other things are added to you as well. It's 2014, I started memorizing and meditating on God's word. And that year, the blessing of the Lord hit our business like we had never seen. I mean, we were already doing pretty good before, but that year it more than doubled. We were making millions and millions of dollars that year. And I wasn't trying to make more money. I wasn't working any harder than I was before. I was just pursuing the Lord. But as I began to pursue him, the kingdom of God begins to manifest in your life. And when I say that, what I mean is, his power begins to touch the stuff you're doing. Right. And when the kingdom touches you, whatever you're doing is going to prosper. And so I've seen this happen where, uh, you know, you don't even know what's in you until the kingdom touches you. You're like, a, it's like an apple tree and a, a peach tree. In the winter, they might look, I don't know, maybe they look very much the same. But I'll tell you, when summer comes around and the rain falls, call that kingdom, 
when the rain falls and touches an apple tree, what you're going to get is apples. And that same rain that falls on an apple tree will fall on a peach tree. And the peach tree might say, well, I guess I'm going to get some <laughs> apples, but he won't. We'll know it by its fruits, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And so the peach tree gets peaches. So when the kingdom touches me, it's not going to affect my life the same way as when the kingdom touches you. Yeah. It depends on what you were created for and what kingdom seeds, what, what has God put in you? And each person was designed by God with special purposes. Some of you listening to me right now, someone listening to me, you are called by God to write books and you've never even wrote a good page yet. But when the kingdom touches you, you are going to write and you just aren't going to want to do anything but write. Some of you were called to make money, to create wealth, and you are broke. But when the kingdom touches you, money is going to come. Some of you are called to prophesy, and you have never, you don't even think you've ever heard God's voice. But when the kingdom touches you, you're going to start having prophetic dreams and visions. I had one woman come to me. I had prayed for her, and I had ministered to her, and I actually baptized her. In the name of Jesus Christ, which is something I talk about in chapter 17 of that book. I baptized her in the name of the Lord and the kingdom of God touched her. And I saw her a year later and this young woman comes to me. She's just beaming, but she comes to me and she says, Steve, I have to tell you the story. A year ago, you baptized me. She said the next day, the next day or this two days later, she said, all of a sudden this passion for writing just fell on me. She was a stay at home mom. Uh, a homeschool mom, and she had a blog, you know, and but that was what she did. And her husband was a police officer, and uh, they lived a very simple life. They didn't have a lot of money, but uh, she just had this burden to all of a sudden, right after I baptize her, she gets this burden to start writing homeschool books. She writes a book, and it just comes to her, and she has a friend of hers do the illustration. Then another one, then another one. And then she starts publishing. Then they buy this printer, and they start printing. She starts a website. One year later, she says to me, Steve, we had nothing. The <laughs> kingdom touches me. I start writing. She said, we've written. I can't remember how many books. They were viral. They were going everywhere. Layton, she was making, after one year, a million dollars a month. Incredible. Wow. Selling. You know how many $9 homeschool books you have to sell wow. <laughs> to make wow. a million a month? She showed up at my next gathering. True story, through a $10,000 check in the offering plate. <laughs> you know, and that reminds me, Steve, sorry, to, I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt you, but um, you talk about something in the book, and and during our last conversation, you mentioned this concept of stewardship. Yeah. I think this is something really, really important for people to understand, because it it is sort of connected to living in closeness with God, isn't it? That, that oh, you know, we, we chase after material wealth, we're worried about uh, being able to pay for things, provide for our families, retirement and everything. But your concept is you don't own anything. It no. all belongs to God and you're the steward. And that is, that is very, very key to, 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 to living this, this kingdom life and, and, and actually manifesting that type of success. Could you talk about that just for a minute? Because I thought that was a really fascinating concept that you related to me. Luke 12, 48, it says this. From the, from everyone who, uh, has been given much, everyone is a large group. This is right. where maybe most Christians might live, okay? From everyone who has been given much, much will be asked. But from the one, this is a smaller group, but from the one 
who has been entrusted with much, even more will be asked. Right. Notice there's two ways to look at your finances, even as a yeah. believer. And I don't yeah. think one is wrong and one is right. I'm just saying there are two ways. You can be the owner of your finances or you can be the steward of your finances. You can be one who says, well, God gave me $100,000. Therefore, I'm going to live on $100,000 this year. And maybe I'll even give him five or $10,000 back as a little gift, you know, maybe pay some taxes. Or you could say, no, I own nothing. God has entrusted me with $100,000. Everything I have belongs to him. And I'm going to seek him and do whatever he tells me to do with it. These are the two ways. It says, he who, from everyone who has been given much, those are owners. If I give you something, it's yours. You can do whatever you want with it. God gives you something, it's yours. To those who have been given much, much will be asked. But to the one who has been entrusted with much, this is a steward. He doesn't own it. To the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Mm -hmm. And the Lord spoke to me many years ago. And he said, Steve, would you step out of ownership and step into stewardship? Would you be willing to let everything I ever give to you, would you choose to see it as me entrusting it to you rather than giving it? Would you be a steward and not an owner? And if you do, uh, the, the point was, I will trust you with a whole lot more. Right. But I'm not going to give you a whole lot more if you think you own it. And so the Lord, I made a covenant with the Lord many years ago. And I would tell you, the Lord has prospered us beyond anything that, I mean, I'm a slightly below average guy as far as intelligence goes. I'm not the kind of guy. Arguable, arguable. Arguably, <laughs> slightly below average intelligence, slightly below average in so many ways. But I have seen the blessing and the favor of God on our lives. He has trusted us with millions and millions of dollars for his purposes. And we've used it as, and we pray and we ask, Lord, what do you want to do? And when right. he said, give here, sow here, build this, do that. We just really do our best yeah. to obey him and do whatever he says. And uh, a lot of people have good plans and would love, Steve, you should do this, or you should invest in this, or hey, can you? And you know what? I just say, I have to pray. It's not mine. And so for me, that's how I really see it is as stewardship. And that concept, that also applies to loss too, doesn't it? And you went through this recently because you invested a great deal in your ministry in this altar project, uh, which is, and I, I, I was out there and I saw the devastation of the recent fires there. And yeah. uh, you had put a lot into that. And that must have been very difficult for you to, to experience and go through that. Uh, and yet I would think, and correct me if this is wrong, this concept of stewardship uh, probably helped you to deal with that. Because you accepted that as something that happened, that was God's will. And really this altar project, that wasn't yours anyway. That was God's. And so now you just see, okay, well, that happened. And my job is, okay, now we're going to rebuild it bigger and better than ever. Am I, am I on the right track there? 100%. I had so many people come up to me after the fire came through and burned the altar and burned our other property. And, and uh, I had so many people saying, oh, Steve, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I know it sounds like a nice little line, but I meant it from the bottom of my heart. I said, I didn't own any of it. Don't feel sorry for me. You know, and I've said to the Lord, even at times where we've, even when I've made bad choices financially or invested in something I shouldn't and it's gone, I'd say, Lord, I'm sorry, but you just lost 500 grand. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, 
you just lost 2,000 trees. And Lord, if you wanted me to do something different, you should have made me smarter. <laughs> you know, I love him. He loves right. me. He knows what he's working with. He knows when he picked me, he didn't pick the sharpest knife in the drawer. But what I do is I give him my whole heart. Right. And I try to really say yes to him and give him whatever he asked for. I can't make myself smarter, but I can obey him. And, right. uh, and that's what I really just try to do. And I've seen the blessing of the Lord uh, on because we obey. And even the mm -hmm. fire, when it all settled, dust settled, I went, this is perfect. Where it burned was a perfect spot for us to dig a lake. And it'll be way more beautiful with a lake than it ever would have been with all that peat moss. And even right. the other quarter that burned, all of the trees are still, the trunks are still perfect for timber. So mm -hmm. we're cutting them up with a sawmill right now. And we're building a beautiful worship barn that we, we where we can gather to worship the Lord. And all the timber you'll see in that worship barn will be timber that came through the fire of 23. Hallelujah. Yeah. So Steve, I mentioned off the top of the show that I was ignorant of, I was as ignorant of uh, the kingdom of God before I read your book uh, as I was of intercessional prayer. So I want to talk a little bit about your second book, which is which is quite different, uh, but it, it just as important, this concept of intercessional prayer, standing in the gap, it's called Though It's Gabby. The, the, uh, you know, the title is very deceptive. I, I didn't know what to make of the title. It turns out that Though It's Gabby is actually a, a garment, but it has a very symbolic archetypal significance. Yeah. And there's this great story in, in the, starting off in the book, just as you do in uh, Access Granted, you, you sort of present yourself a life story where you're very vulnerable. You're a young preacher, you're attending this conference, and you meet this incredible man, and he introduces you to this, this transformational, life-changing experience of intercessional prayer. You want to talk about that a little bit and what Doit's Gabby is all about? Absolutely, for sure. And I have both of those books here. Can I mention, too, just real quick, this one, Access Granted, uh, the audio version is free. So if anyone wants the audio, if they email me and say, Steve, send me the audio, we will send you the audio version. Just email me to feedback at oilpatchpulpit.com and say, I want the audio version. We'll send you a link to the free audio version. Otherwise, you can buy a, you can buy a copy online. But Dawood's Gabby is a book about intercession. And right. uh, intercession is... Uh, it's a, it's a word that is often misunderstood because people use the phrase as a substitute for the word prayer. So people say, oh, I was interceding for you. But what they usually mean is I was praying for you, which is wonderful. But intercession is not another name for prayer. Intercession is one type of prayer. Uh, my spiritual father, uh, Dennis Wiedrich, wrote a book uh, about uh, called A Royal Priesthood, where he mentions 18 different types of prayer. And he wow. explains how these, just like tools in a tool belt, but as he says, there's actually more than 18, but he only mentions 18 in his book, but 18 different types of prayer. One of those types of prayer is intercession. And what intercession is, uh, by definition, is standing in the gap on behalf of someone else. Right. And usually, almost always, it's in repentance and in confession. And so, mm -hmm. do you know anyone who needs to repent, or you might say even confess or say sorry, but they're too stubborn to do it. 
or they just do stupid or they're just too mean or they're just unwilling to see that they've done anything wrong. See, many times we get frustrated because um, people won't change, but we don't even realize there's a type of prayer where you can actually go before God on their behalf and do the intercession for them. And so you can, I can actually stand in the gap on behalf of Joe, because maybe I know that Joe is just mean as a snake to his wife. And I can go before God and say, God, I want to stand before you as an intercessor. I want to stand in the gap for Joe today and say, God, can you forgive me for the way I have been so cruel to my wife? Forgive me for slandering for her. Forgive me for smacking her around. Forgive me. And I can actually confess his sins to the Lord, repent on his behalf. And what's interesting is, as a result, now that's not going to get him into heaven, but what it will do is it will unlock a spiritual prison that he right. may be locked up in. And it I've seen it happen many times. And that's what that book is. It's just mostly it's all stories, right? Stories of crazy stories where I've seen miracles happen in other people's lives because I did the intercession for them. They were changed and they didn't even know that I did the prayer. Right. And and it could even be someone who is who is dead in the case, in your case, where your father had passed away and, and you had had unresolved issues and uh, and that pastor actually stood in the place of your father. And that was a deeply moving experience, right? Yeah, Dennis Wiedrich, uh, who really has been a spiritual father to me, when I first met him, that's what it was, was he stood, my dad had committed suicide and I had all sorts of unforgiveness and hatred towards him. And, and this man sat in a chair beside me and he, not before God, but actually before me as an intercessor, it's kind of two types of intercession. There's horizontal and vertical. Vertical would be standing in the gap and to talking to God. Horizontal would be me standing in the gap for you. But he stood in the gap and he said, Steve, I want to stand in the gap for your dad. And on his behalf, I want to say, can you forgive me for the way I gave up on life yeah. the way yeah. I left your mom pregnant with three kids for, and he, and, and all sorts of things. And he, he did all this and it actually helped me get unstuck. Not that you need someone to do that, to forgive, but sometimes people get really stuck in unforgiveness. And one of the greatest gifts that you can give someone who's stuck in unforgiveness by someone who hurt them or wounded them is you can come to them as an intercessor and you can say what maybe the, the one who hurt them might not be willing to do this, but you could come to them and say, can I stand in the gap for your dad and say, please forgive me for the way I wounded you. Forgive me that I didn't love you like I should have. Forgive me that I didn't hug you and tell you that you were beautiful and that you felt like you needed to run around and look for uh, love in all the wrong places. Can you forgive me for the way I treated your little brother? And you can do the intercession and it's powerful it's not just make-believe it actually sets people free because when they say yes i forgive you there's breakthrough where there's unconfessed sin Leighton, there's always trouble right but when we confess our sins the bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and you'll see that in the new testament and you'll see that in the old testament you'll see guys like uh, Daniel standing in the gap and confessing sins that he didn't commit 
Forgive us, O God, for we have sinned against you. We have done this and we have done that. You'll see right. other minor prophets. They do the same. Forgive us for our adultery and for our this. And, for, and it's like, wait a second, Daniel, you never did any of that. No, Daniel was an intercessor. Daniel was standing in the gap for someone else. The greatest intercessor of all times is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Who took your place on a cross. Yes. And stood in the gap for you and paid the price for you that he should have never had to pay, but he was in your shoes dying on a cross so that you wouldn't have to. Right. Hallelujah. Yeah. We would be grossly negligent though, Steve, if we didn't explain the title of the book. And Dawit <laughs> is just a wonderful character. The way yeah. he's described there is so vivid. I could just yeah. picture, I could just picture him. And yeah. and the Gabi is this gift of this dirty stinking filthy garment that you end up uh wearing uh, uh, not just wearing but it becomes almost like a part of you yeah and and it becomes a key to your your you being an intercessor for for dawit you want to talk about that a little bit yeah when i met dawit i had um he was a homeless man living on the side of the road and i was living in ethiopia for about six months and uh I would sit with him and just encourage him. And I was trying to share my faith with him. And one day I bought him this blanket, which is called a, a Gabby. And uh, he loved it, this Gabby. And he wore it all the time. He actually, he was naked. And once I gave him the blanket, he took off all his clothes and he started wearing this blanket <laughs> everywhere because he was so filthy and dirty and disgusting. Like he he just, whenever I'd hug him, I was so itchy. Like he, <laughs> he was very dirty. He just lived yeah. on the side of the road. And so when I gave him this nice, clean, new Gabby, he took all his clothes off and started wearing this Gabby. And he was wearing it all the time for weeks, everywhere I saw. Well, pretty soon this white Gabby wasn't white anymore. And uh, before long, it was just as smelly and filthy and dirty and disgusting as everything else he owned. But he still walked around buck naked wrapped in this Gabby. One day I bought one for myself thinking, you know, I wanted this prayer blanket. Just I like to pray under a blanket. It reminds me of how God is my fortress and my covering. And so I bought a brand new Gabby for myself. And uh, this, I went into my room to pray. And as I put myself under this blanket, I heard the Holy Spirit say, take that off. I don't want you praying in that. And I, I thought, what in the world? What's the big deal? You know, I bought this for you, Lord. Look at this gold embroidering, beautiful Gabby. And the best, the one that money could buy. I just ignored that voice. It wasn't audible. You don't know. Is that me? Is that the Lord? You know, I'm always trying to figure that out. So I just ignored and I continued praying. And once again, I heard this, the Lord say, take that off. I don't want you praying in it. And so later that day, I was walking. Uh, I took it off. Later that day, I was walking down the street and I saw Dowett wearing his filthy Gabby that he had been wearing naked for a month now or whatever it's been. And as I was walking by him, I felt the Lord say, Steve, I want you to trade Gabby's with Dowett today. And I, I said, Lord... <laughs> I'll fine. I don't care. I'll give him my new blanket. I, I I'll just go buy myself another one. And the Lord, I, once again, I heard once again on the inside, but I heard Lord say, no, I didn't say give. I said, I want you to trade Gabby's with Dawit today. And I said, Lord, what would I want a filthy, smelly, disgusting, disease-covered Gabby like that one for? I said, Lord, I don't want that disgusting rag. I wouldn't put that on my worst enemy. I said, I'll give him the new one. And he can have both. And I'll get myself a new one. And the Lord said, you'll do it. 
And so, I mean, I don't even understand what was happening. I didn't even know what was going on. I'm just trying to obey. And yeah. so I went home later that day and I got this new blanket and I wrapped it around myself. I thought I'm going to wear it at least once before I have to give it away. So I wrapped it around my head, around the, the way they do in, new, in, in, in Ethiopia. They wear it over their heads and they kind of wear it like a coat. And uh, I walked down the street towards him and there's Dawit. And I thought he would think it's funny to see this big white guy wearing a gabi. And uh, I see him and he's wearing this filthy, smelly, disgusting, dirty gabby that he's been wearing for a while. And I said, hey, Dawit, what do you think of my new gabby? And he looked at me and he kind of did a double take, you know, and he, he didn't think it was funny. He looked at me and then he looked at his own and he looked at me and looked at his own and and I could tell I had embarrassed him, you know, and then I felt stupid. But he obviously, I think he didn't realize how filthy his had gotten. Because when he, when I gave it to him, it was beautiful and white. But he when he compared it to mine, his looked so filthy. And uh, I said to him, I said, Dowd, I want to trade Gabby's with you today. And he says, he didn't understand. And I explained, you know, he didn't speak very good English. And uh I said, I want to trade. You give me yours and I'll give you. And he's like, no, no, no. He says, no, Steve, this is good enough for me. He says, this is good enough for me. He says, you keep that one. That's nice. That's good for you. And this is good enough for me. And I said, no, I want to trade. And he's like, no, yes, no, back and forth. <laughs> he really did not want to do this. And finally, I said, Dalit, I want to. And by this time, I feel something rising up in me in the spirit. Like I knew I had to, like the Lord wanted me why i didn't know but the lord wanted me to trade gabby's with this guy and so finally he's like okay and so i took off my gabby and i was wearing clothes underneath and i put it around him and around his because he's still naked underneath his gabby and so i put the blanket over him and i said okay now you give me yours and he's like oh steve you didn't <laughs> want to and he kind of slid it off underneath the one, the clean one. He slid the filthy, smelly, gross one off. And then he passed it through me, through the folds, passed it to me. And he was just mortified as I took this thing and wrapped it around myself, put it over my head, tight around my face, kind of like they wear them there. And he burst into tears and he said, no, no, Steve, take it off. And he started grabbing it. And I said, no, doubt it, doubt it. He's like, no, take it off, take it off. You know, because he's been eating in this thing, drinking in this thing, peeing in this thing, sleeping in this thing. By a, He sleeps on the side oh, of the man. road by a fire. There's ashes and dirt. And I mean, he'd spill alcohol over it. You know, like this was just, he knew it was disgusting. And uh, he said, no, take it off, take it off. And I said, no doubt. I said, I want to, I want to. And um, I gave him a hug and I gave him a kiss and I... I start walking down the road, and uh, as I get back to this complex where I was staying, this woman, her name was Trunish. She's the woman I had actually sent her to buy me this, my nice new Gabby. I had actually sent her to go buy it for me, and I'd given her money to get the best one. And so she'd known that Gabby. She worked at the compound where I was staying. Well, I didn't notice I passed her uh, on the way back. Uh, but uh, I guess I passed her on the road. She told me later, I came into the compound. I went into my room. I got on my knees. And this is always a weird part of the story. I never felt super, it's hard to explain. People think it might be weird. But I just felt, this is a spirit thing once again. I felt like I had to get as close to this 
scabby as possible. So I ended up taking off my own clothes and I wrapped myself in this filthy Gabby and I got down on my knees and I pulled it right over my head. And when I did, it was just like, I was taken away to a place where I was Dawit. I felt like it was suddenly, it wasn't like I was praying for Dawit. I was Dawit. I was that a kingdom of God moment, Steve? Would you well, describe that in that way? Maybe it was. Uh, I don't know if the kingdom of God smells that bad, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was definitely a kingdom experience where the Lord allowed me to be touched. This is what the Bible says, that Jesus was touched by our infirmities. He was touched by right. our weaknesses and our failures. The Lord get let me drink. Even it says that Jesus did. Remember, it says he didn't want to drink this cup. He says right. this passed from me. The Lord gave me the gift of being able to drink Dawit's cup. And it was a bitter cup. It was a filthy cup. Right. I was able to feel what he felt. I smelt what he smelt. I could feel like he had always had a bad knee. I think that's why he lived on the streets is because he had a bad knee. He couldn't walk far. I could feel almost like pain in my knee. I felt shame. I felt demon possessed. Like I just felt like I was Dalit. And when I, in this place of being drenched in his, in his um, filth, I began to cry out to God. And I was going to say, God, would you heal Dawit? God, would you save Dawit? God, would you heal his knee? Would you save his soul? But as I began to cry out, Leighton, out of my heart just came, oh God, heal me. Oh God, save me. Oh God, forgive me. Wash me. Right. Would you heal my knee? Would you save my soul? Like as if I was Dawit, I just cried right. out, help me, God, help me. And all of a sudden, just like a wave, just a big groan came out of me, just this long, oh, and when the groan was done, I just kind of collapsed under this blanket on the floor, and then it was gone, it was over, and wow. the experience was over, and uh, later that day, I'm walking down the street, and I see Dowett. and he comes running up to me, and he never used to, he never ran, like not with his bad knee. He comes running up to me with his new Gabby and he runs up to me and he's so excited and he's yappering off in, in Amharic and I'm like, I speak English. And he's like, oh, me knee, me knee, me knee, my knee is all good all day. Incredible. But it healed his wow. knee. And wow. all day his knee had been totally healed and he didn't even know I prayed for him. And I said, Dawit, I prayed for you, you know, and he's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Later on, after that, I went back to the compound and I saw that woman who had bought me that Gabby, Trunish. And she comes around, she grabs me. She says, I got to talk to you, Steve. And she's bawling and she pulls me around the corner. And she says, you know that new Gabby I got you? I said, yeah. She said, well, I saw you yesterday when you were leaving here, you were wearing that new Gabby. I said, yeah. She said, well, when I was walking home from work, she said, you didn't see me, but I passed you on the road. And you were wearing that filthy, smelly, disgusting, dirty, disease-covered Gabby that that homeless man has been wearing. And I said, yeah, I was. She's tears. Leighton, this is a true story. I, I've never seen it since. The tears were actually missing her cheeks. They were shooting straight out from Incredible. her eyes. First, she's weeping. She says, Steve, when I passed you on the road, she said, I looked at your face. I knew it was you. But she said, I looked to where your face was, and it wasn't you. She said, I saw Jesus Christ. 
I saw Incredible. the face of Jesus Christ. She said, you didn't know this, but she said, I wasn't even a Christian. I've worked for Christians, but I've never given yeah. my life to Jesus Christ. She said, I went home after seeing Jesus. I cried half the night. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian today, Stephen. I'm a Christian. And I said, well, good. I'm glad you're a Christian. I said, can you help me preach to Dawit? Because he doesn't speak English and I need to explain the gospel. And she's like, of course, I'll help you. And I had done this before. I had brought an interpreter to try to talk to him about Jesus, but he just didn't have, he wouldn't have anything to do with it. He said, I don't understand. Well, I went with Trunish and shared the gospel with Dawit. And it was so simple. And he said, this is what I've needed all my life. Right. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ right there on that on that road. And, uh, and, and it was afterwards. I didn't even know when this whole thing was happening. I was just trying to obey God, trade Gabby's. What the heck for? But it was afterwards that I realized this was intercession. Mm -hmm. This was an act of intercession. God was teaching me. This was actually my first intercession assignment ever. And I haven't had many that were cooler since then. I've done intercession hundreds of times since. This is still one of my favorite stories of all time. Yeah. But, uh, but I realized when I put on Dawit's filthy Gabby, I was choosing as an intercessor to stand in the gap. And this is what intercession is. It's not praying for people, okay? That's not intercession. Intercession is praying as people. It's standing mm -hmm. in the gap for them. And I do this all the time. I did it mm -hmm. this week. If I know somebody who needs to repent and I know they won't, I just do it for them. <laughs> you know? You're too stubborn to repent for yourself. I'll do it for you. And I've seen so many people get breakthroughs because I've done the praying and the repenting and the confessing that they were unwilling to do. Well, I don't know how anybody who has listened to you today talk about your two books would not want to run out and buy them. They are available. Uh, I encourage you to, to visit Steve's website, oilpatchpulpit.com, to find out more about how to acquire those books. Steve, um, this is the part of our program where we wrap up with something called the reading list. And I know you'll have many selections. Uh, you recently introduced me to a book that I'm working my way through right now, someone I'd never heard of named William Branham. And uh, there was a friend, a mutual friend of ours had in three volumes, The Life of William Branham. And I'm working my way through volume number one. And uh, I'm so grateful that, uh, that I've been introduced to, to the story of this incredible man um, and who's not very well known. So that's the, the other book that I'm adding to our reading list. And so I turn it over to you. Uh, apart from obviously you've talked so much about the Bible and your own books, are there any other books that you would recommend to people or resources that you'd recommend to people uh, that you think would help them understand better the things that you've talked about today and that you that you that you you speak of and you write about in your books and in your ministry? Um, you know what? I, I think I like, you know, uh like like for like Branham, that would be a phenomenal place to go. And I mean, you can look that one up on Amazon. It's called Supernatural: The Life of William Branham. But you know, you look read up on people like Smith Wigglesworth. Read up on people like uh, A. A. Allen or uh, T. L. Osborne. Yeah, these are people who went for walks with God every day. These are people who spent time meditating on His Word, cherishing His Word, loving His Word. But when you read the stories of these giants and these generals in the faith, 
what it does is it inspires you to say yes to God in a bigger way. But I'll tell you, the most important thing you can do is not read books, but it's walk with Jesus. Give him an hour a day. Spend time with him. Love his word. The Bible is the only thing that has no water added. Every My books, I like them. I think you'll like them. I'm sure you'll cry, but they're watered down. They're watered down. This is undiluted truth. Hallelujah. Yeah. Love his word. Devour the scroll because this is what's going to bring you to life. And this is what's going to make the kingdom of God manifest in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, Steve, uh, you talk about these other people uh, who are inspirational and have done a lot to reveal the word of God and, and, and Christian living to, to, uh, to the world. You know, you, you might just be one of those people. In fact, I'm convinced that you are. Uh, the, 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 the two books you produced are inspired and, uh, I'm very grateful for them. I'm very grateful. Uh, thank God that I was introduced to them and also introduced to you. And I'm very, very pleased that you took the time today to, to share these books and, uh, and your faith and, uh, and, and your wisdom with us uh, today. So thanks very much for being our special guest today on Gray Matter. It's been an absolute pleasure spending some time with you today. Well, it's absolutely my honor, and I love running with freedom fighters like you. And you have paid a price, Leighton Gray. You have paid a price to fight for freedom and to fight for people who will not bow to the darkness that is coming down the pipe. And I'm proud to be called your friend. Thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate that very much. Thanks for being with us today. Bless you.